0: it began with manchester united jerseys in 2002 and ended up in siberia in 1932 for me this is a story about these two dates connecting for you it may just be a story about children being murdered and how their memory is used
1: well our reporter if the joins us now from so it certainly took me by surprise with the strength of uh, holly and jessica's parents uh, obviously and it's thought that they were murdered on their way back from an expedition to collect cranberries on the edge of the forest.
0: In 2002, the Manchester United jerseys were worn in a photo taken of two English 10-year-olds, Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman.
1: The search for the two 10-year-old girls has now widened. It's almost 24 hours since they were last seen.
0: Shortly after the picture was taken, they were murdered near their home in Soam, Cambridgeshire. Police escort an ambulance carrying two bodies detectives are now as sure as they can be they are those of jessica and holly
1: the bodies were brought to... the search party came up with these bodies who were discovered about something like not more than a third of a mile or so away from the village lying in a mixture of scrubland and and, and land. they were sort of just off a path is the story
0: it was how the Holly and Jessica story was told that prompted me to read a book called Comrade Pavlik, The Rise and Fall of a Soviet Boy Hero, which is about the murder of two children in Russia in 1932.
1: On the 3rd of September 1932, Pavlik and his brother Fyodor were murdered on the edge of the, the forest. police announced that two people had been arrested in connection with the murders of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. In the, early hours of this morning, the
0: Holly and Jessica story was told over and over given extra prominence because it occurred in the slack summer news season, much like the Sarah Payne story two years before and the Madeleine McCann story since. The photo of the two Somme girls in their Man United jerseys appeared so regularly that it became an image representative of that summer of 2002 and surely for people who were children then it will be an iconic image of their childhood. For former Soviet citizens of a certain age, an icon of their childhood was one of the murdered Siberian children, 13-year-old Pavel or Pavlik.
1: He is, I mean, almost a proverbial figure. I mean, it's a bit like John Bull in English culture or Dark Rosaline or something like that in Uh Ireland.
0: In both Soham and Siberia, the children's murders were taken and trumpeted. In the case of the Soham murders, we've heard lots of reasons. To fill 24-hour news or to give us a modern-day parable. With the Siberian murders, Katrina Kelly has some reasons.
1: That's right, this came out of a larger project I'm doing, which is a century of Russian childhood.
0: She's an Oxford professor and an archive detective who wrote the book The Legend of Pavlik Morozov. It's a story of how a society uses the death of a child for its own purposes. But interestingly, it does give an insight to subtleties of the Soviet society and culture that many of us in the West will not have been aware of. September 1932, two bodies are lying in the woods just outside a Siberian village. Nine-year-old Fyodor and 13-year-old Pavlik. Both boys have left behind a turbulent summer and a riven community.
1: The village was called Gerasimovka. It's on the borders between the Urals and Siberia.
0: The collectivisation movement was well underway. Stalin wanted agricultural output increased and wanted the peasants to work together in collective farms.
1: We're talking about a process where they got freedom, they got land, and then the land is taken away from them. So this is a very painful process and the communities in Siberia are particularly difficult um, territory for collectivisation because they really don't see the virtue of this. It wasn't something that could be done by a voluntary process. It had to be forced on them.
0: Pavlik's family, like the village, was also divided his father had left his mother for another woman. And when local police came to view the two bodies in the wood, they knew Pavlik, and they knew that he had just had a fraught summer with two local families.
1: He was a senior male, aged 13, 14, in the family, and having to do quite a lot of the farm work. And there was a row between him and his cousin over a, an item of horse harness. So they had only one of these harness saddles, which is the thing that goes over the horse's back to sort of attach the traces to. And it was such a valuable piece of tackle that there was a sort of up, stand-up family fight about this. And I think that brings out quite a lot what the atmosphere in the family was like. We also know that um, some of his family were on the side of the communists and some of them weren't, so that there's a sort of split right down the middle of the family. It's I mean, it's clearly unhappy and divided in that way as well. And I think he may have reported a local family called the Shitrakovs for owning an illegal shotgun. And there had been a sort of roundup up of um, illegal weapons and so on, and they hadn't handed in both guns, they'd only handed in one. And in the summer of 1932, the story went, Pavel Marozov had taken the police round to the house and, and shown them where it was. So the local police assumed that this was a murder that had been done for reasons of sort of petty revenge um, or at least domestic revenge by some local lads, one of whom was the boy's cousin. And then what what happened is that once the case got slightly further up the line, so it went from the local police to the police in the district centre, and there the police decided that this wasn't an adequate explanation of the crime, so they then started looking for political motives. And at that point, a much wider range of suspects starts to be considered and a narrative evolves according to which the elder boy is an activist for the Pioneers, which is the communist organization for children. And he and his brother have been going around telling people to join the collective farm and to surrender their grain and have made themselves unpopular by doing this. And the result of this has been that they've been murdered. When it then goes further up the line and goes to the sort of regional authorities of the Komsomol who say that it's been handled with great political ineptitude and there's quite clearly much more mileage in this story and from the regional Komsomol and pioneer organisation it then makes its way to the centre and it's reported in the central pioneer press and at that point a story starts to be disseminated that the elder boy had been so fervent in his belief in the pioneers that he'd actually denounced his father to the pioneers.
0: And did Pavlik denounce his father? And if so, why would he have done it?
1: I'm very unsure about whether he did. Um, I mean, the, the whole story is very strange because the official story goes like this, that Pavlik had found out that his father was up to no good. And as Pavlik's story goes through the different decades, what The father had actually done changes, but the original version is that the father had been producing papers for peasants who had been exiled. Pavlik had found out about this and gone to the authorities and reported it. But it seems very odd that, for example, nothing happened about publicising this case between Pavlik and his father in the local papers. And that, to my mind, is almost the biggest evidence that it probably didn't happen because it would have been so much a classic case of the time, I mean, so much something that local papers would have loved to report. Maxim Gorky, the famous writer, Got to hear about this in 1933, and thought that Pavlik was, you know, sort of just the most impressive hero that he'd um, he'd ever heard about, and started. And the Russian verb is продвигать. I mean, sort of making a big effort to publicise and make famous this story, to sort of put forward this figure. <laughs> Стать настоящим Лениным, честным, любящим Советскую Родину, как Павлик Морозов.
0: They changed his hair and things like that, didn't they?
1: They did. I mean, he seems to have had sort of, I mean, you know, a fairly standard European colour from one end of Europe to the other, I mean, a sort of dirty brown colour. And then in the Pioneer Pravda, so this sort of these newspaper reports, he's described as being radiant haired. So he gets turned into a blonde and in the film I mean, of Bjergen Meadow they actually had to bleach the child actor's hair because he was just this sort of nondescript colour and so they sort of got out the peroxide and turned him into the right sort of hero so he gets altered like that but there are more significant alterations as well I mean he gets turned into a sort of as schoolwork becomes a very important criterion for sort of child virtue in the pioneer movement so Pavlik gets an exemplary school record he develops an interest in hobbies when they're trying to promote hobbies in the pioneer movement after the Second World War when there's a sort of campaign to introduce rational friendship amongst children, he gets a sort of girlfriend. I mean, it's you know, not a girlfriend in the sort of sentimental sense, but sort of, it's a boy-girl friendship and and so on. So you, know, you name it in terms of qualities that children are supposed to have, Pavlik gets it.
0: Gosh. So this poor kid, he's found murdered on the edge of a forest and his, his death and his previous life is taken and, and made into something for the Soviet state. Why was it important at the time for the system to have a martyr, a child martyr, who had denounced his father and who was so fervent, as you say?
1: Why they needed a martyr, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think this comes out of a very specific stage of Soviet history, and it's the end of a phase of Soviet history when the child activist is the sort of model for children's behaviour, and this goes right through the 1920s. I mean, children are being encouraged to imitate Civil War heroes. Um, that's young Civil War heroes, people who'd sort of fought for the Reds aged, you know, sort of 14, 15. They're being encouraged to imitate the kind of people who stand up at political meetings and condemn the workers in the local factory for being lazy. Pavlik Morozov is an extreme version of that. And policy at that stage is also emphasising that children ought to go against their parents if that's necessary, so that it's emphasising that the family is a secondary social unit and the primary loyalty should be to the state one of the um, shock horror effects of this story is, I mean, you can imagine the child trots home from the pioneers and says, "I you mean, know, Daddy, we learned about Pavlik Morozov today, and they say I should denounce you if you do anything wrong, and um, what's happening, I mean, by the 1960s, this is happening... Either. No, they're not not joking. And by the 1960s, I mean, fathers are saying absolutely up front, well, that's what you say in school, but you don't say it at home and denouncing your father is something appalling and make sure you never mention that again. Um, so is that not and so, anti,
0: anti-Soviet and anti-revolutionary for a father to say that the family and that he has primacy over the state?
1: Well, I mean, in in strict Bolshevik terms, yes. And so we have a sort of, if you like, de-Bolshevization of of Soviet culture, which is happening in progressive decades. So you've got a big contradiction. I mean, you sort of created this child hero who denounces his father. At the same time, you're trying to shore up the family and make children respect their parents. And it leads to quite a lot of embarrassment about Pavlik morozov, I mean, exactly what to do with him. And so he has this sort of uncomfortable position. He's not widely liked. Stalin had is kind of quite well known from his biography, had quite a lot of problems with his sons. Um he had a very vexed relationship with them. And I think the last thing he wanted was to personally endorse a legend which is about obstreperous sons getting the better of their fathers. He must have thought that it was a useful legend at some level, but it was clearly not one with which he, he warmly identified himself. He's supposed to have said, What a little bastard ratting on his father.
0: So, what began as a story about a local row leading to two murders ended up being manipulated into a parable for Soviet children, and that reading of the story affected the judicial process. The local police identified two murderers, a teenager from the family who owned the shotgun who were reported on by Pavlik, and a second teenager, his cousin, with whom he had had the row about the horse harness. However, the teenager from the shotgun family was released because the central authorities had decided that his involvement didn't fit with the story of Pavlik being murdered for denouncing his father. Instead, the police rounded up members of Pavlik's family and after a show trial, five people were executed, including Pavlik's grandparents and an uncle. After her long trawl through the archives, Katrina reckons the court got it very badly wrong.
1: Yes, I mean, I'm inclined to, to accept the local police's version. I mean, the one thing we do do know from testimony is that both these young men were working in fields quite near the forest, and I suspect they just were sitting, having a smoke at the end of the working day or a break in the working day, and they happened to see these two boys, and they just went for it. I mean, it probably started off as a quarrel and, and, and beating them up and trying to frighten them, and it then it ended up as a stabbing.
0: Just thinking about himself, what do you think was going through his head? What was he like... <laughs>
1: Well, I think that he was probably a very ordinary child from a... deprived Russian village and I mean it would have been a recognisable pattern for children in deprived villages all over Europe and I mean I know the west of Ireland quite well because I've been going there sort of in the summer since 1967 for visits with the family and I mean I must say it sort of resonated with me what I know about rural Ireland I mean the way that people on the outskirts of communities can get marginalised and turned into sort of monsters by the local population I think the family was you know clearly having to struggle fairly hard to sort of get through and I think he may have become attracted to the sort of ideas that were presented in school textbooks about pioneers and about sort of setting the world to rights and it's not impossible that he and his brother and possibly other children went round and started haranguing people about about the collective farm.
0: Katrina Kelly with the story of comrade Pavlik Morozov, murdered in 1932. Her book is Comrade Pavlik. You've been listening to The Curious Ear. I'm Ronan Kelly.